we're going to look at, is the book of Genesis trustworthy? Now, several years ago, um, I had started running. Um, I didn't like running. I, I, I only ran when like, I was trying to catch the food truck that was trying to get away from me. That was the only time that I ran, but then I decided that, hey, I need to get in shape and, and I needed to get out of the round shape and actually in shape. And so I started walking and then I started jogging and then I started actually, well, jogging. Um, I never made it probably to a full run, but I, I, I loved to, to, to run and uh, I'd love to be able to go and, and to uh, run uh, 5Ks and, and other things, especially uh, when my niece and my son said, hey, dad, will you run with us? And the first year, I couldn't beat either one of them. The second year, I trained very hard to be able to beat my son. I could not beat my niece. Um, she is, she's just an amazing uh, track and cross country runner. I, I wasn't even like close to her. Like she was like, Uncle Travi, where were you? <laughs> I'm out of breath, that's where I was. Um, but while I was running in our neighborhood, I always ran with my phone in my pocket. And I could never get one of those things because I have one of the big phones. It looks like you know, you're holding a book to your face when you're trying to talk on it. But um, I, I always run with that. I could never put it to my arm. You couldn't put it in your pocket. So I always ran with it in my hand. And as I was running, one day, all of a sudden, I heard this horrible screeching sound coming from my phone. I'm like, what in the world is this? And I looked down, and I had accidentally hit the emergency button. And uh, it called 911. And so they called me back because I, I tried to hang up, and it was too late. And so they called me back. And they said, um, sir, are you okay? We got a distress call from you. Yes, I'm fine. Now, granted, I'm out of breath. So now they think that actually something is wrong with me. And I'm like, no, no, I'm running. It's okay. Running from someone? No, ma'am, I promise. I'm okay. I'm surprised because I probably sounded like I was about to die. I'm surprised they didn't send an ambulance after me anyways. I think about that and, you know, in question that we're asking this morning, I, I believe that there is an alarming emergency in our culture today. Since we have disconnected from the Bible, I believe that we are in a societal free fall. Wrong is now right and right is now wrong. I'm reminded of what we read in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So here's what we're going to discover today. If you want a good ending, begin with a good beginning. So, can we believe in Genesis? Is Genesis trustworthy? Short answer, yes. All right, let's go home. I know, I've made you sit to, through two long sermons in a row, and you're like, yes, please. Um, I'll get you out before most of the people today for lunch, I promise. Um, Last week we looked, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God. And, and when we read Genesis, we, we have to start with who wrote Genesis. It, it was written by Moses. He was the human author. The Holy Spirit was the divine author that, that spoke through Moses as he wrote. And, and at the turn of the 20th century, there were many liberal scholars that they believed that Moses could not have written the Pentateuch. Moses could not have written the first five books of the Bible, the, 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 the five books, uh, the first five books. 
It was believed that primitive Jews did not have the capacity to write back then. Not surprisingly, this has since been refuted by archaeology. We talked a lot about that last week, and it is conclusively proven that writing was a part of their culture. So if we go back to the book of Genesis, there are some additional reasons that we can believe and trust Genesis. Number one, genealogies in Genesis give the names of actual people who lived in specific times in history. In fact, the entire framework, framework of Genesis is built around genealogies. Secondly, Jesus himself confirmed Moses as the author. In John chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, we read, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus also quoted from Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. And then again, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 5, when he was referring to marriage. Number three, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they referred to Moses as the author of those first five books. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 24, we read, Teacher, Moses and Moses said, so they believe that Moses was the one that wrote those. Number four, the apostle Peter refers to a literal worldwide flood. Second Peter chapter three, verse six says the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. One commentator has found at least 165 passages, 165 passages that are found in Genesis are quoted throughout the entire New Testament. Let me lay this out very clearly. There is ample evidence that the human author of Genesis was Moses, that it was the first book of the Bible. Therefore, we must accept its teachings. Regardless of what society, regardless of what secular scientists may be telling us, it may be appealing to contend for the faith that once for all that we can be delivered. We must stand on the words that we find in Genesis. So the Hebrew word Genesis, it means the beginning, the origin, the source and birth, which is why Genesis is referred to as the book of beginnings, because we have our existence found in the book of beginnings. One way to understand Genesis is to see the first 11 chapters, they deal with the human race, and, and chapters 12 through 50 explains God's promises. The, the first chapters describe four major events. We have the creation, we have the fall, we have the flood, and then we have all of the nations that are being formed. The final Three quarters or so of the book focuses on four main characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So let's go back to the book of Genesis, and let's look at what we find there in the beginning. Now, that's what we talked about last week, right? I asked you some questions as we were trying to determine whether we could trust the Bible. We have to go back to the very first verse of the Bible. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning... God created. If we can believe that, 
we can believe anything else that we find in the Bible. But if we have trouble with that very first verse, we're going to have a lot of trouble with so many more things. Skeptics, atheists, evolutionists, unbelievers, and doubters of all varieties have taken aim against the opening chapters of Genesis, arguing that it is absurd to believe in a six-day creation, a literal Adam and Eve, a talking serpent, a Garden of Eden, Noah and the Ark, a worldwide flood, and the Tower of Babel. One pastor points out, unfortunately, many Christians have bought into these attacks to significant degree because we are intimidated by the discord of criticism. It has been easier for us to keep silent so we won't be mocked or to make a series of compromises so that we can live at peace with those that are around us. It never helps. They won't be convinced by our compromise anyway. Again, if we cannot stand on Genesis 1-1, we're going to have a lot of problems with everything else that we believe within the Bible. So if you want to write something down, write this down. Genesis either explains it all or it explains nothing. Either Genesis explains it all or it explains nothing. You either believe it or you don't. If you don't, you can't believe anything else in the Bible. So let's spend some time on some foundational truths of the faith. Number one, God is eternal. That's where we need to start. God is eternal. Notice we are not given any arguments for the existence of God. The, the fact is simply declared in the beginning, God. He doesn't give us anything else other than in the beginning, God. That's it. No, no, no. Where did he come from? No. Can God make a rock bigger than himself? Just in the beginning, God created. That's it. That's where it starts. Now, now the, the word that is used here for God is Elohim. And it means that there is one God made up of plurality, the Godhead. He is referred to by name, listen to this, 35 times in the first 34 verses. God's name is used 35 times in the first 34 verses. God had no beginning and he will have no end. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It reminds me of the scientists who gathered together and, and they went before God and they said, Hey God, we don't need you anymore. We have figured it all out. I mean, we've already been able to clone sheep. We've been able to make up our own DNA. We, we can do this on our own. And God listened patiently to everything that they said. And then he said, okay, before you go, before I go, let's have a human-making contest. The scientists said, okay, let's do this. Let's do it the way that I created Adam. Okay. So the scientists reached down and started to pick up some dirt. And God said, no, no, no. Get your own dirt. In the beginning, God created. That's where we have to start. 
He is eternal. Number two, God is everything. God created everything. The, the second part of verse one is profound and yet simple enough for everyone to understand. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. By the way, uh, the word created is used throughout the Bible with only God as the subject. Only God created. That's what we read in the Bible. You see, Elohim brings design out of disorder. When he created the cosmos out of chaos, he, he birthed beauty out of barrenness, and he continues to do the same thing today. It, just a, a few quick verses throughout Genesis chapter 1. Verse 7 we read, and God made the expanse. Verse 16, and God made the two great lights. Verse 21, so God created the great sea creatures. Number 25, and God made the beasts of the earth. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made. God created. Can we believe it? Can we believe that he created everything? If reason alone doesn't convince you of creation, let me take you to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. We read, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So let's drill down on this creation, God's creation. Number one, God's creation is prevalent. When you scan the skies, when you look up at night. Now two nights ago you couldn't really see it. Now I, I actually... I take that back. Friday night, absolutely beautiful sky. It was not raining at our house, but wow, was it a, a, a light show. Because as I stood outside and looked, and I, I love to be able to do this because it wasn't raining on me, um, I could look all around it, and, and it was like fireworks going off all around me. Um, to, to my west, there was lightning coming down. Up north, lightning strikes coming out. Over to the east, lightning everywhere. I couldn't see it in the south because it was behind the house. But it was everywhere, all around me. And, and it was just lighting up. And I'm like, that's God. That is his hand. Last night, I go out. I take the puppy out. Um, it's after midnight. I'm walking outside, and I just stopped. And I look up, and there's the clearest sky. Moon out. All of the stars shining bright absolutely amazing to be out able to look out and see you see you see it all when you look at nature there is nothing that he has not created whether you use a telescope or a microscope whether you examine the sur surface of mars or the human dna it's clear that there is a creator in, in the last book of the bible we go to revelation chapter 4 verse 11 we read this and it states it so clearly Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So it is prevalent. When we walk outside, we are able to see God's beauty. We are able to see his handiwork. We look around this room right now. If you're watching at home, just look next to you. And you see God's creation and how we're all 
alike, and yet we're all different at the same time. We have different colored eyes and different colored hair, and, and, and we, we just have a, a difference about us. And it's absolutely amazing of what we see, and that is God's handiwork right in front of us. Number two, he is personal. God is not some detached deity who just flung things into existence from a distance. Nor is he a mere cosmic force. He sees and he speaks and is personally involved in his creation. God took what was formless. God took what was empty and he filled it with purpose and meaning. Look at the last part of verse 2. We read, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now it's interesting, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the word created is just a simple form. That God created. Simple. But then number 2, in verse 2, we read the word hovering. Now this is an intensive form, meaning that the Spirit was moving continually. He was hovering and moving continually. It's a beautiful word picture of this word of hovering. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, it describes how a mother eagle cares for her little eaglets. She hovers over them. She brings her providential care. She is personally caring for them. Now, a little bit later, she just takes them and pushes them out of the nest. We'll talk about that at a different time. But as she's teaching them to fly, what does she do? She lets them fall quite a bit, and then she swoops in, and she picks them up, and she carries them back to the nest. But she's constantly caring for them, showing tenderness and compassion. God is hovering over us, helping and holding on and holding us together. He's also pronounced. Nine times in the first chapter we read, and God said. This is followed, and it was so. He spoke and stars filled the sky. He spoke and birds began to fly. This is called, the creation is ex nihilo. He created it out of nothing. All God has to do is say the word. And immediately it happens. Psalm verse 33, verses 6 and 9, we read, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke and it came to be. It's pronounced. It's also precise. Nothing about creation is haphazard. Everything is organized. Everything is orderly. The sequence of events follows each other perfectly. The complexity of nature reflects just the right amount of gravity, just the right amount of oxygen, just the right amount of line, uh, light, just the right amount of rain and temperature. Now, some of you go, well, it would have been nice to have some of that rain back in July, and I wouldn't have felt like I was walking on potato chips when I stepped on my grass, and now you're all upset because you, you walk outside and you walk in the grass, and now you have to cut it every week, and, and so you're never satisfied. We, let me include myself in that, we are never satisfied, but God has set it in motion and it is precise in his plan. And it is also, lastly, perfect. At the end of each day of creation, we read, And God saw that it was good. 
Six times God declares that it was good. On day six, he, he doesn't just say that it was good. After he created mankind, after he created Adam, he saw everything, and it was very good. I love that. It wasn't until he had created man, who is his crown jewel, that he says that it is very good. That brings me to our next point. Human beings are the climax of his creation. As you read through the first chapter of Genesis, it becomes clear God created a fully functioning world for the enjoyment excuse me, of man and woman. There are at least three truths about human beings taught in the book of beginnings back in Genesis. Um, first, we come from dust. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man, <clears throat> excuse me, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We are derived from dust. This will humble us just a little bit. If you ever go, yeah, I, I, I'm all that. I've got it all together. I was created by God. I'm God's crown jewel of creation. Let me humble you just for a second. Genesis 3.19, and to the dust you shall return. Be careful. We came and were created out of dust and we will return to the dust. Number two, we were created with dignity. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. We are not the result, again, listen, we are not the result of some coincidental cosmic accident. God made you with dignity. He made you with value. He made you with worth. He made you with a purpose. You are more than just matter because you matter to the Almighty. Always, please listen, always remember that. If for whatever reason, at any moment in time, you go, I really don't matter. This world would be better off without me. I don't hold any value to what I have. I want you to go back and read this verse because you matter to the Almighty. Always, please listen. Always remember, you matter. Your life means something. You have a purpose. You may not see it in the moment, but you have a purpose. And God is working his plan in your life. Lastly, underneath of this one, we are commissioned with duties. Life is lived under his lordship and design. Genesis 1.28 gives us the greatest duty that we can ever have. We read there to be fruitful and increase in the number. We've done a pretty good job of that. If you can't read through the lines of that, I'm not explaining it. That's all I'm going to say. <clears throat> Genesis 2.15, Adam was put in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. We have a purpose. We have duties. We are given something called to do. So Genesis help us, helps us answer three questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And you can't answer the last two until you settle the first one. In order to fully understand it, it has to start with that very first one. So, number four, when Adam sinned, we sinned. 
When Adam sinned, we sinned. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sinned. You see, after Adam and Eve sinned, disunity, decay, disease, and death entered the human race. We see this if we keep reading and we get to Genesis chapter 4 when Cain killed Abel. He was jealous. He was upset. He was angry. And death entered into the world. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Because of that, he sent the flood to wash the world. But you know, it didn't take long for sin to enter back into the world after the flood. And we have the Tower of Babel, and then it has to be spread again. And then there's the annihilation in Genesis 18 and 19 of Sodom and Gomorrah. So as I read through Genesis this week, I wrote down some of the effects of the fall. Murder, death, conflict, deceit, shame, guilt, fear, mistrust, lying, stealing, trickery, wrestling with God, rape, homosexuality, revenge. All of these things I find in just Genesis as I read through it. We are rebels who are desperate need of reconciliation. We need God in our lives and we need him today. Our greatest need is not to improve our self-esteem. Our greatest need is to be set free of our sins. That's what we need to understand. Number five. God's grace is seen throughout Genesis. Whenever we look and we see all of the sin, and I know, kind of bring you all down just for a minute. Let, let me build you back up because we see grace being shown throughout Genesis as well. It's exciting to trace God's grace all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to when he created Adam and Eve. The first thing, God came walking in the garden that day after they had eaten eaten from the, the tree. Both of them had eaten from the tree and God comes walking to do as he had been doing all the time. And Adam and Eve, they did what? They hid. And so as God comes walking, he calls out. Now, did God really need to know where Adam and Eve were? No, he was calling them out of their own sin, out of their own problems. He's the one that calls them out. And he says, hey, where are you? And they come out. Why did you hide from me? Because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? And they started to realize that they had sinned. And what does God do? He shows grace right then. He could have just went, done, messed up, start over. Nope. He clothed them. He takes leaves and he takes the fig leaves. He puts it on them. He clothes, or not just the fig leaves. He, he clothes them with, with clothes. The first sacrifice happens. In Genesis 3.15, not only were they cared for, not only were Adam and Eve cared for, we were given the fact that Christ would come. 
Jesus just wasn't some, oh, by the way, here, let me send a savior. We can go back to Genesis chapter three and we see that God knew that Jesus was going to have to come. In verse 15, we read, I will put in immunity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Even though the world was wicked, God provided refuge for those who put their trust in him. And we read this, Genesis chapter 7, verse 7. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And after the flood, God made a covenant with Noah. Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, we read, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Then God calls Abraham and cuts a, a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 through 3 we read, And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This blessing is traced through Isaac, not Ishmael. Through Jacob, not Esau. Instead of being passed through Jacob's oldest son, it actually came to the fourth son, Judah. We read in, in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, The scepter shall not go from Judah, nor the ruler's uh, staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now this genealogy from Judah is traced in, in, in Matthew uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 all the way to Jesus. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of, Jake, of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and all the way through until we get to Jesus. To sum things up, since God made everything and made us, he has the right to place some demands on us. The real issue in many cases is not intellectual or scientific, it's moral and, and spiritual. So if we're going to stick to this, let's look at four quick implications. We're going to bring all of this together right now. If creationism is correct, and it is in my mind, the creator demands a commitment. Let's look at these four. Number one, we need to determine that God owns all things. Properly understood, since he is creator and I am created, I own nothing. Psalm 89 verse 11 says, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. I am just a steward. I'm a manager of the things that are in my life. Have you settled ownership? Have you settled the ownership issue with Jesus today? If you have, then you will, then he will have your back in every way. If you need to determine who the owner is of your life, I'd love to talk to you about that at the end of the message. 
Number two, I must submit and surrender to him. Psalm 95, verse 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel down before the Lord, our maker. The ultimate test of whether or not I believe in God as creator is whether I'm worshiping him or worshiping myself. You see, since he is the creator of the universe, he must be Lord of my life. Have you surrendered to him? Is he the Lord of your life? Number three, my life has a purpose. My life has a purpose. Your life has a purpose. Since I am more than just dust, God designed me to reflect his image and to display his glory. In Isaiah 46, verse 10, we read, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Do you know why you're here? Not just in this building. Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you have chosen... Or why God has chosen you. It's not just for your enjoyment. It's not for the enjoyment of those that are around you. You are here for his enjoyment. Keep living on mission. He has a purpose for your life. And you may be struggling in it right now. You, be, you may be trying to figure it all out right now. But he has a purpose for you. He will show it to you. Let me say, Travis, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. You, you say I have a purpose, but I'm just floundering in my job. and I don't really feel like I have anyone to love me. I've been outcast from my family because I've chosen to accept Jesus. Well, you say that I have this purpose, yet... He's given me this disease that I have to deal with. Why would he do that? We don't always understand everything that happens. But he is the great physician. He can heal all wounds. Many times they don't happen in this life. But he, if you will follow him, he wants to give you so much greater than anything that this world could ever offer. And that's the last point. Allow God to recreate you. There may be a spirit of darkness and a deep void in your life. The spirit of God is hovering over you right now. The difference is he's not going to just swoop in and pick you up. He wants you to choose him. He wants to take care of you. It's time to reach out. To ask him to save you of your sins. Because you were made in his image. And that grace, oh, he wants to share it with you so, so much. I want to go Genesis chapter 1. And I want to, I want to end with Genesis chapter 50 verse 26. From beginning to end, this is what we read in verse 26. 
they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. God created each of us and one day we will be put to rest. Make sure that you believe Jesus died in your place and rose again. Repent of your sins. Receive him as your savior. Jesus died for you. If you have not yet done so, an emergency alarm is sounding right now. Be saved. Allow him to speak into your life. If you want a good ending, begin with the beginning in mind. Right now, we're going to partake of communion, and if you haven't received your um, emblems, you can get it on either one of the tables that are in the back. Um, I encourage you to go back there. Um, as we partake of communion, I want you to remember what, what Jesus has done for you. He went to the cross so that you can have everlasting life. All the way back in the book of Genesis, God knew that he was going to have to send his son. And in those last moments of his life, he chose to institute the Last Supper. And he took the bread and he took the juice and he told them to eat it, to remember that this was his body, that he was giving his life as a ransom for them. He took the cup of redemption and he said, I want you to drink it and I want you to do so in remembrance of me remembering that I am going to die for you. He took your place so that you could have everlasting life. If there's something in your mind right now that you need to ask for forgiveness, if there's something on your heart, you can go directly to the Father. I'm going to be in the back afterwards and, and the elders are going to be back there with me. We would love to talk to you uh, about anything that's going on in your life. Jared, our, our youth pastor, he's going to be back there with me. But what's awesome about our Lord is, is you don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through an elder. You can go directly to the Lord right now and ask for that forgiveness. Let's go to him in prayer. Almighty Father, we thank you that you have given us the ability to, to have you speak into our lives. Father, you are the one that created us. You are the one that has given us so very much in our lives. And Father, we, we come today to repent. We come to confess our sins, to lay our burdens at the foot of the cross. I know that this can be a hard message. We talk about sin. We talk about all of the, the pain and, and suffering. But Father, we know that your grace is greater than all of that. All we have to be willing to do is to accept it. That you will hover over us like a mama eagle hovels over her eagles. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for giving us a way back. We pray this in your son's name.